Reduce, reuse, refashion. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of my podcast, Refashion. I am so excited as the podcast is really taking up the pace and thanks for so many of you who shared about it on your social media, who have already rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes, followed and subscribed to the podcast out there and on Spotify as well. If you haven't done that yet, good news is that you can still do it today, even while you are listening to today's episode. I would be super grateful for that as it helps reaching more listeners whom this podcast would be relevant and interesting. Now, on to today's episode. It has been my great honor to interview Catherine Annika Hall, PhD design researcher. We had a live talk on Instagram with her back in summer, yet the knowledge she shared is of such high importance and relevance today that I couldn't not use the recording for today's episode. To point out the importance, there has been a mandatory requirement recently issued on all European Union states, which says that from now on they have to separate textiles as a separate stream of waste by 2025. That is actually quite an ambitious target for some countries, especially for those where textile recycling infrastructure is non-existent yet. Therefore, in this episode, you will hear about why dealing with textile as a waste is just the first step and uh, what are the challenges of today's textile recycling system. But is there something we can do to design out waste in the first place? If so, we should think in terms of circular fashion and how designers can apply circular design principles. In addition to that, uh, during this episode, we also discuss what each of us should do to make our clothes never reach the landfill again. Now get yourself comfortable and let's get started. Annika, the word uh, is yours and please introduce yourself to us. Sure. So as you've already explained, I am a PhD researcher at the Centre for Circular Design, uh, which is a part of the University of the Arts London. Um, I've been doing my PhD for three years, but prior to that, I used to be a designer in uh, the fast fashion industry, a knitwear designer, so designing jumpers for the high street um, and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, I kind of saw the... uh, kind of firsthand uh, what the fast fashion industry was like Um, and so I went back to university and I've been doing I've been in academia uh, for the last five years. That's amazing Um, you've been in the field for so long so I guess you have seen um, the textile industry from from very different angles so could you just um, start from very first question which is what is textiles? So textiles kind of covers a whole bunch of things. So as I said, I worked in the fashion industry. So obviously textiles includes clothing um, as well as kind of performance things. So as you know, astronaut suits, that kind of thing. It also um, covers interiors, um, but textiles actually find themselves in all sorts of different places that you might not expect them, particularly hidden applications. So you might think of textiles within cars, but also probably inside the seating, um, hidden behind dashboards and things, you'll find textiles. Um, and another place that we kind of forget that textiles are kind of hiding are within our clothes. So things like interfacings or the stuff that are in collars to make them stiff. So um, yeah, textiles are all over the place and in often places that you don't expect. Okay, yes, because usually when we think about textiles, I think immediate association that we have is clothing, um, which is something that we wear every day. And we kind of take it for granted that actually our chairs and sofas and car seats are all also covered in textiles. 
Yeah, it's a huge, huge industry when you take it. I mean, obviously, fashion is a massive industry, but when you start expanding it, you realize how big the industry actually is. And within the textiles, there are different types of materials being used, right? Is there a specific classification of those uh, fabrics and materials? Yeah, so um, in terms of uh, those textiles, they generally um, get split between natural materials and man-made materials. Um, but depending on how detailed you get, you can also think about them in terms of animal materials, uh, vegetable or plant materials, um, or kind of oil, mineral-based materials. So, for example, you might have wool in the animal category, cotton in the uh, vegetable category, uh, and something like polyester or nylon in the uh, man-made um, mineral type category um but you can get even more specific which i won't do right now and geek out on all the different types of materials that there are out there <laughs> all right um in the last uh, two talks uh, that i had before um we were talking uh, with uh, two founders of uh, startups who use leftovers um from different productions like silk or um uh, leather and they transform them into different into other pieces and today uh, together with you we are talking more about okay what does it actually happens afterwards uh, once we have worn everything out and um, um, our clothes go into like kind of like a la the last phase of the uh, product's life or use um, so Talking about this last uh, step, uh, which I would call a take back, um, that would be also uh, uh, one of the measures would be recycling, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, actually when it comes to recycling, the word recycling, uh, and I've, I've said this multiple times, um, kind of encompasses a lot more um, than you realize. So we, when we talk about textile recycling, we uh, might be referring to reusing our clothes, whether that's sending them to a charity shop or lending them to a friend. Um, but it also might be remaking them. So thinking about those kind of like upcycling challenges where you turn, I don't know, an old pair of curtains into a dress or something like that. That also might be deemed as recycling. Uh, and then, of course, you have the recycling, recycling, um, which is the kind of pulling pulling the fibers out of the cloth and then returning them back into textiles. Um, and that type of recycling is called mechanical recycling. Um, but you can also recycle by using chemicals where chemicals are used to dissolve the fibers uh, and then you can return them back into yarns and then textile materials. That sounds like a very complex system. Um, is the, are those both methods available for all types of uh, fabrics that you just mentioned in the beginning? or are they peculiar to different fabrics? So, yes, yeah, so you've got these two main types of recycling. You've got the mechanical side and you've got the chemical side. Um, but actually, and I'll probably say this many times over, it's kind of about appropriateness. Um, so while theoretically you can mechanically recycle any type of material, it actually lends itself really well to things like wool or cotton. Um, whereas on the chemical side, um, if you tried to chemically recycle wool, uh, it's completely possible, but you wouldn't be able to turn that back into textiles again. It would be used for something else, which is no bad thing. But if we're looking at kind of a textile to textile process and talking about how we can turn textiles back into um, other textiles, uh, then chemical recycling wouldn't necessarily be very appropriate. Whereas chemical recycling for polyester, for example, works really, really, really well. Um, and you can recycle polyester back into textiles um, really easily through a chemical process. I see. Um, also, there is a huge talk about um, usability of those um, fabrics after they have been recycled. Uh, when it comes to recycled polyester or recycled cotton, uh, doesn't the fiber shortens and so recycled material is not suitable to be used uh, as a raw material for a new production? Yeah, so that's true. Um, when it comes to the mechanical process, because you've got this machinery that literally is ripping the fibers, it's a, uh, an old technology that was developed um, in 1813 in the UK. Um, <laughs> Yeah, a really long time ago. Um, and they developed it because of a shortage of wool. So uh, there was a shortage, so they wanted to be able to recycle the wool. Um, so they created these machines and the easiest way to get the fibers, you know, the, the tiny hair-like fibers 
um, out of the material was to, to rip them out through the machinery. That machinery has progressed and got better. So uh, what was quite a raw, not quite so great process um, has got better, but you're right, the fibers do shorten. It's just the nature of the fact that you're ripping out the process. You can do it dry, you can do it wet. There's lots of different um, engineering um, kind of that's going on in the background. Um, but actually, although there is a little bit of quality loss, there are things that you can do in order to combat that. So if you're using recycled materials, um, blending those recycled materials in with stronger, maybe virgin materials, or perhaps recycled materials from other sources. So we often see that um, garments have a percentage of, say, recycled polyester in them. And that recycled polyester might come from plastic bottles, for example. Um, and therefore, and that recycled um, polyester from a plastic bottle, polyester is a very strong fiber. Um, it's very long. And the recycling process um, that's coming from plastic bottles uh, is much easier to do to create those long fibers because polyester is a filament, uh, so it's much longer. Um, and therefore, you can kind of mix and match. Uh, and as a designer, that's kind of what I'm looking into, understanding how, as a designer, we can think about using those materials and working with some of the limitations of the process. I see. Actually, at this uh, point in our um, conversation, I would just like to step back a little bit and uh, paint a scene uh, for a regular person. So let's mm -hmm. say I buy a new garment from um, a fashion brand. I wear it and then I um, maintain it well. So I fix it small holes or anything like that. And then when the time comes, I decide that, okay, now I need to discard it. Mm -hmm. So when we come to that phase, what options do I actually have? How do I do it properly? Well, uh, it's a great question. So um, I've lived in the UK most of my life. Um, I currently am in Denmark, um, but I'm going to talk about it from a UK perspective. So um, in terms of it being across the world, that will slightly vary and be slightly different. But from a UK perspective, I always tell people that if they are wanting to um, get rid of their clothes, um, first of all, think about whether I know you said that you may have repaired it and, and all of those things, but could it be reused by somebody? Is it reusable? Because in that case, I would say that you want to be donating that item of clothing probably to a charity shop, particularly if it's something that you think that somebody else in the UK might want to wear. Um, plus the charity benefits off the fact that you've donated. Um, if it's an item of clothing that you don't think anyone really is going to want to wear, so um, prime examples of these are tights, um, old pants, socks, the odd sock that you can't find the pair to, that kind of thing. Um, then I would suggest that you put those items into one of those recycling banks that you quite often find in um, car parks that collect um, the materials and then they get sent through to sorting centres and then they can sort those out and decide whether they are reusable um, to be sent elsewhere in the world because that's how the textile recycling system works. Um, or whether they can be sent into higher value markets, um, whether that goes back into the UK if they have that system in place, or whether that's going to somewhere like Eastern Europe, which um, wants the kind of newer, brand new things that people are getting rid of. Um, okay. So they're kind of your yeah. two options. All right, yeah. And then, um, so let's say I discard of my items through one of these options. Um, but is this something that uh, can be found everywhere around the world? You just mentioned uh, what's the system in the UK. Would you say the coverage is actually well developed within entire Europe? Well, actually, interestingly, you said that because um, in Europe, they're just bringing in um, uh, law through the EU that textiles have to be collected as a separate waste stream by 2025. Um, and that's a really exciting piece of policy because we're quite good in across the UK. We could be better. There's massive work to be done. Um, there's a figure that the Ellen MacArthur Foundation always put out that something like 73% of all textiles ends up in landfill um, because we are really great at throwing our clothes away. But when it's captured and goes into recycling streams, um, um, uh, well, it, it's not brilliant at being captured in all of these different places. So this law is trying to encourage people from stopping to throw that textiles away. Um, the stuff that is captured 
isn't always ending up in recycling. Sometimes it goes off to be incinerated. So we have this sort of ideal that we want to be reusing our textiles, um, then potentially remaking them into something else, um, then recycling, and then incineration, and then to be completely avoided, uh, landfill, uh, to be honest, at all costs. So um, yeah, it's not available anywhere. I know that here in Denmark, um, there's no recycling facilities. So in terms of the collecting, they have to be sent elsewhere to be um, sorted, um, recycled, whether that gets reused, whether that's actually physically recycled. So not every country is the same. Um, in the UK, we have some recycling, but lots of stuff gets transferred elsewhere. Um, the recycling industry is quite global um and i know from some research that went on in um uh africa which i think was ghana um but i could be wrong um i'll double check that maybe put that in a comment um afterwards um but their collection facilities for old clothes um doesn't exist and therefore lots of clothing does end up in landfill um in countries that doesn't have that kind of structure um so in terms of Europe, we do have that kind of collection structure, but elsewhere in the world that doesn't exist. And to be honest, in Europe, it could be much improved. I can totally agree to you. I am coming from Lithuania originally. And um, when I was living there, I wouldn't say that we would have a well-developed system, that I would have a place to discard my clothes. I was very happy when uh, H&M came into the marketplace and I could bring my old clothes to their shop. Um, I'm not quite sure how well are they with um, sorting and recycling and actually using the products that they receive. Uh, but I am just happy that at least here in Denmark, the coverage is better and it seems to be improved um, across Europe. Where would you say are the hotspots, so to say, of the recycling centers, sorting centers and recycling facilities? So actually, interestingly, H&M uh, collaborate with a company called ICO, which stands for I Collect. Um, so actually, the clothing that you do donate to H&M does get collected and does get sorted within the ICO facilities, um, which are based in various locations around Europe. I think they're predominantly based in Germany. Um, or at least their head office is there. Um, so in terms of donating to somewhere like H&M, um, rest assured that your clothing is going to a recycling system in the same way that if you put it into one of those recycling banks, um, it's a similar sort of process. Um, I don't know what happens to it after that. I assume it just goes into a more general system, but they are working on uh, and developing and trying to understand what we can better do with our clothes, which is what everybody, it's the big question everybody's asking. Um, but in terms of hotspots, um, aside from sorting facilities that happen in specific countries, so in the UK, there is some sorting, um, but then there are other sorting hubs, uh, so to speak. And I know that there's one in India where clothing can be in, imported into these special economic zones. So India as a country, actually bans the import of um, secondhand clothing. They don't want to disrupt their own markets. They don't want to kill off the textile industry that they have, but they have special economic zones where it can go in, these businesses sort, uh, and then they can be re-exported or sent into the country where they have recycling facilities. Um, at this point, I should probably mention that my research is particularly focused on wool and acrylic recycling. So in terms of those hubs for recycling wool recycling happens in a place called prato in italy which is just outside of florence um where they have a um wool recycling industry that's been there for um or almost as long as textile recycling has existed um and then you ha also have places in northern india uh southern india tends to have more cotton recycling um there's some businesses in Spain that do cotton recycling. So you can kind of see this is, a, there are lots of examples that I could tell you all over the world, but there some, tends to be these sort of, um, where businesses gravitate together uh, to have these uh, recycling facilities. When we look at Prato, for example, um, they also have a really big virgin wool production. So it makes sense that you've got this virgin wool production alongside the recycling production so that you can take waste from one uh, production, also import waste clothing and get that recycled as well. So it balances out. You just mentioned that, for example, India does, doesn't want to disrupt their own textile industry. Um, and that raises my other question, which is 
whose interest is it to actually get the recycled materials? Is it the government's interest? Is it the big brand's interest? Well, I would say that you have to remember that the recycling industry is not funded. Um, I'm specifically talking about the UK when I say that, actually, because there, there are initiatives in some countries where, um, so for example, in France, where they have the extended um, producer responsibility, which means that um, every item of clothing, I think it's a penny or the equivalent of, um, is or a few pennies attached to each item of clothing in order at the end of life so that it can be recycled or go through those systems and invest and et cetera, et cetera. And there's lots of different initiatives happening all over the place. Um, Sweden has a slightly different system that they're thinking about implementing. Um, but um, really, no one's really um, investing in this. It's not like there's a global textile um, union that everyone has to be a part of and, the, you know, this global fashion initiative. So really, it's a combination of the demand from the, the consumer as we've seen over the last few years, this sort of booming of extinction revolution and climate crisis. Um, I mean, we've kind of known about the problems within textiles and design and fashion uh, for much longer than suddenly all of these kind of campaigns, which are amazing and brilliant that, you know, people are, are sort of starting to realize um, and slightly worryingly, it's looking like it's getting quite late in the day to be doing anything about it. Um, so really, because it's a business, uh, and because each of these individual tiny businesses that make up this entire industry obviously run on profit and having to make money, um, there is no incentive other than to try and be green. Um, so there is a bit of push from the, the, you know, the fashion companies. There's also a bit of push from the consumer. But equally, all of these businesses that are sort of trying to make that happen also have to work as businesses and they have to make sure they can pay their employees and things. So it's 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 slightly more complicated than going, oh, yes, absolutely, the fashion brands need to do this, or oh, the consumer needs to be buying into this. It's, it's a combination of everything. I see, and it makes sense. It's because it's, there are a lot of actors involved in the process, and at the end of the day, we are talking about money. It's a money game in this uh, capitalistic um, environment that we live in. Um, so in that regard, it, it, it makes sense. I was actually just then wondering, uh, what are the key challenges that we face when it comes to mechanical recycling? So I think um, we've covered quite a few of the, the problems. So in terms of collecting clothes, which we've kind of discussed already, um, is a massive sort of hotspot of the problem. Uh, you've then got the sorting problems. So um, I talked a little bit about reuse, but when we, um, when we collect textiles, again, because the collectors are businesses and the sorters are businesses, they sort them for reuse, which is absolutely the correct way to do it because we want to be reusing our clothes before we go into these next stages. Um, however, because everything is collected for reuse, um, the, the, the proportion of the unwearable, you know, unreusable um, textiles that you sort of get left with, there's not a great incentive to sort that properly into contingents ready so that wool can be recycled over here and cotton can be recycled over there and polyester gets recycled over here. Equally, the recyclers have to run a business. So they have to um, be able to process this material, which quite often we screw up because we put zips and buttons and um, we blend fibers together, uh, mixed fibers and stuff. So you've got cotton and wool and polyester and cotton, which makes it really difficult to recycle. So what you have is you have this, this kind of everyone kind of blames each other. So the recyclers blame the designers because the designers are putting all this mixed fiber in. The, the, the um, designers are saying, well, actually the recyclers are not giving us the recycled fibers we need to be able to put them into our textiles. And then the recyclers are going, well, actually um, it's the sorters because we, you need to sort this out properly in order for us to recycle it. And the sorters are like, well, you're mixing everything, so I, we can't sort it properly. So, and it just continues round in this vicious cycle of everyone um, kind of blaming each other. But equally, that's sort of a problem that needs to be solved. So we need more transparency in the ways and the materials that we're using to design and how we're designing them um, so that it's easier for the sorters so that the sorters can 
turn profit and be profitable to be able to sort those for recycling and then equally have recycling um technology um so that we can produce materials that are usable by the designers so there's solutions to be found in all areas i can see that and you mentioned that we have a problem with blended uh, fabrics could you maybe just elaborate on that yeah, so blends are one of the biggest challenges to recycling. Um, and we tend as textile designers, and um, I did textile design when I was doing my BA. Uh, obviously, I went and was a knitwear designer, uh, and now I'm looking into textiles again. Um, so we blend uh, in loads of different ways. So we can blend at yarn level, so that the fibers are literally twisted together. Um, we can blend by um, using two different fabrics and putting them together. So a prime example of a really difficult to recycle item is something like a coat where you've got an outer fabric that's one fabric, but a lining that is a different fabric. You might have an interfacing that's made of something completely different. The care label might be made of a different fabric. Um, it probably has buttons or zips on it, which definitely can't go through recycling machines and those need to be taken off. Um, so as you can see, the, the problems sort of escalate and escalate and escalate. I definitely, I can see that completely. And I was thinking as well, um, in one of your research projects, which is uh, Mr. Future Fashion, um, the key finding is that there is no specific sustainable textile fabric. Um, better production is the most pressing. Uh, that's the quote I found on um, one of the resources on your website. And I would like to ask you, um about that is this is this true do do we really not have anything else like do we not have anything to do with the fabrics and if not what are the design approaches we could take so i think it's really interesting because of course there is things that we can do and we can think about when we as designers are using materials and selecting materials is really really important um, I'm going to go back to that being like appropriate um, idea that it really depends on what you're designing, depends on what the material is that you should be choosing. Um, it would be foolish to say, oh, organic cotton is the best thing. We should be using it for everything because it's obviously totally inappropriate. There's a reason that not all of our clothes are cotton in the first place. Um, if you want to be warm, you definitely won't be wearing a cotton t-shirt. For example, you'd be wearing like a nice woolly jumper. Um, so that kind of applies to design in general. And the same applies for sustainability when we're thinking about um, the best fabrics to be using. Um, you also talked a little bit about production. And actually, um, this is where circular design thinking comes in. So circular design is all about thinking about the entire life cycle um, of a product. So that means thinking about the raw materials that then get turned into textiles. So if we take cotton, for an example, you've obviously got the cotton plant that then gets turned into cotton yarn, which maybe gets knitted into jersey fabric, which will then be turned into the T-shirt. But even through that process, you've got things like bleaching. Uh, you might, it might be dyed. There'll probably be finishing processes. Uh, you've probably got multiple different companies doing lots of those different things, the spinning, um, the knitting, uh, the manufacturing. Um, and then obviously it's uh, processed, packed up, uh, transported to a shop. Uh, the customer goes in, buys said T-shirt. The customer then washes, uses, um, does all sorts of stuff with it. And then it needs to be collected to be ready to hopefully be recycled, reused, all of those things, ready to be turned back into a raw material. And you can kind of go all the way around the cycle. And the idea is that you as a designer are thinking about every single stage. Um, however, every single stage is not completely up to the designer. You need to collaborate with some of those people. I definitely am no expert on chemicals, for example. So if I was going to be thinking about the best chemicals to use, I would need to speak to somebody that knows. Um, I probably will have quite specific ideas about the color that a t-shirt might need to be, for example. So I will need to speak to somebody about what the best dyes, what those chemicals would be, and how to achieve the color that I'm looking for as a designer, for example. Um, a bit easier if you're an independent designer to be able to shift and change, whereas uh, a very large company um, is slightly more difficult to make massive changes 
which also impacts you know things like social things like jobs uh, and the people working in the factories um, you don't want to make a massive change that is going to very negatively impact some of those workers and some of those things so there's a lot to be considered around this sort of life cycle and circle absolutely the industry where a lot of parties are interconnected and everyone is looking for their own interest as well and to protect their own interests we briefly touched upon eu bodies that stepping in into the uh, recycling and putting up some regulations uh, we actually uh, received one question up front from our audience uh, which touches upon um uh, some organizations, for example, when it comes to wool, right? Um, maybe Woolmark uh, could have a say in um, fostering or imposing circular thinking and more sustainable materials. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. In terms of those kind of bodies, um, you know, lots of brands look to those kind of bodies. So um, if I was speaking to them and advising them, I would very much encourage them uh, to be taking a stance in that kind of way. Um, but we have to, with these kind of certifications and um, uh, companies that kind of offer um, these sort of certificates and things, um, there become so many of them that actually sometimes adhering to one can contradict another. There's because there's a lot of certifications out there that we can use as textiles, um, it can be quite confusing. And what one certification might mean then doesn't apply with another certification. So I think we have to be a bit careful because in order to design for the entire life cycle, there are so many decisions. Uh, and we actually found this when I was, um, I worked as a research assistant at the Center for Circular Design, um, not only on the Mistra Future Fashion Project, which you mentioned, um, but also um, was uh, privy to some of the work on the EU Trash to Cash Project, uh, which was um, EU 2020 Horizon funded. And uh, it was about thinking around this entire life cycle. And often when you make one decision, um, sort of here on the life cycle, maybe about the chemicals, about this, it actually has a massive impact at, at, some, at some other point in the circle. So one decision, um, a prime example, is about designing for longevity, making sure that we can keep our clothes for longer, might have a detrimental impact on the recyclability. So if you took a t-shirt that was 100% cotton, if you blended 50-50 cotton polyester, the fabric might actually last longer because polyester is stronger, um, it's more durable, it washes easier. Um, but by making it more durable, you've instantly made it more difficult to recycle. So there are sometimes compromises that need to be balanced. I can totally agree to that. And I was also thinking about another uh, design approach, for example, design for disassembly. Is this something applicable to textiles industry? Design for disassembly um, absolutely is applicable. Um, my PhD colleague who um, is just finishing her PhD at the Centre for Circular Design, Letitia Forst, um, she will publish probably within the next few months, we're hoping. Um, and uh, she's written some papers. Um, so have a, look at, have a look at her stuff, um, looking at textile disassembly. Um, the issue with textiles and disassembly is that you can only do it at certain levels because the disassembly at fiber level or yarn level would be recycling is the, is the equivalent that's the way but very difficult when you've got a mix of tiny fibers to be able to um, sort out the cotton ones from the polyester ones um, which is why chemical recycling is a sort of new and exciting technology that's coming up um, I will caveat that chemical textile recycling is very much possible, but at the moment is on a smaller scale, uh, pilots and sometimes at lab scale, depending on the company that's developing it. Um, we've seen H&M um, using a product called Circulose, which is a chemically recycled cotton, uh, which is very exciting. Um, but at the moment, the chemical recycling of our textiles um, isn't um, commercialized uh, to its full potential uh, and so it's not a complete solution at the moment but hopefully will be in the future. As we briefly touched upon alternative materials um, such as uh, circulos, what is your standpoint about um, other materials? For example, um, you also explained about a polyester um, material from uh, recycled bottles, let's say 
from the campaign of cleaning the ocean. And in that relation, I would also like to pick up uh, one of the first questions uh, in our chat, which is um, in relation to whether plastic bottles are not um, toxic to us. Um, and um, our listener says plastic bottles have toxic chemicals that were not meant to be used in garments. Isn't bad to use it in garment? So yeah, this is a massive concern. And I think something that we don't know enough about, um, the Cradle to Cradle Institute uh, are very much looking into this idea of safe uh, and unsafe chemicals. Um, and it's definitely a resource. Um, check out their website and see what they're saying. And they have a list of, of chemicals. Um, chemicals, as I said, is not my total area of expertise. So when we're thinking about plastic bottles and turning them into textiles, there is always that sort of potential that it is unsafe. What I would say is that we use loads of fairly toxic dyes, um, treatments of leather, all sorts of things. Um, so if we're going to get picky about the recycling of plastic bottles, we also should be addressing lots of the other toxic chemicals that are washing around, um, well, and leaching into the environment. Um, so yes, that is a concern and more research definitely should be done on that about how to recycle and recycle safely, um, which is why my research is looking at how we can recycle textile to textile, um, bringing in materials from other resources as I, as I think I said before, it's no bad thing. It's not a problem. The issue that we have as um, in the fashion and textile industry is that because we're really rubbish at recycling clothing, we're bringing these materials in and then it sort of stops right there um, and are not able to go on. So we kind of need to fix that problem. And then hopefully some of the scientists thinking about the chemicals and stuff, um, hopefully doing some research and understanding the implications of those. Um, because yeah, I'm aware of that as well. Mm -hmm. And what are the characteristics and qualities of um, recycled uh, materials and their blends with uh, virgin materials? Let's say it's recycled cotton and it's a blend with, uh, with um, um, virgin cotton or some polyester. So I'm just wondering how easy is it to recycle those type of blends where there's a virgin material and a recycled material so theoretically um no problem at all it's mainly the type of material um obviously you have slightly shorter fiber length um as far as i'm aware um materials should be able to be recycled multiple times um through a mechanical process um until um the fibers are too short to be able to go through the machines um but at that point if you're blending and hopefully the, the garment will have been used for long enough that it kind of makes it worthwhile. Um, but having a recycled content in there shouldn't affect its onward recyclability too much, unless we are getting to the point where we're using so much recycled content and so little virgin that, and that we're a long way off that. <laughs> so we're worrying about that as a problem at the moment. <laughs> I see. So it's not uh, possible to have a hundred percent recycled t-shirt for example so you could it just depends on what source you're getting the recycled material from so you could take mechanically recycled cotton and blend it with um recycled polyester from plastic bottles for example and then it would be a hundred percent recycled um the aim for a hundred percent recycled is a really great one but i sometimes think that we get slightly clouded um wanting to achieve that aim that we forget that that's it's slightly more complicated than that and that we want to make sure that what we're designing and creating is good quality um and should you create something that's not going to last as long just so that you can say it's 100 percent recycled um i'm sort of playing devil's advocate there but sometimes again you've got to think about the appropriateness of what you're doing uh, it's a lovely story and it's an you know, amazing PR if you can get to 100% recycled. Um, but actually, can we envision a time where we have no virgin materials? Are we going to stop growing cotton and stop shearing sheep um, at all? Yes, those materials should and probably will become more expensive. But I can't imagine a time where we won't, even in a small way, be growing and doing something in a much more sustainable way, of course, than we currently are. And that's the problem, is that we're doing this on such scale in such a terrible way that it's causing such detrimental effects. Um, 
So yeah, I think sometimes thinking about the wider implications rather than just focusing on, we must get this 100% is an interesting way of looking at things and discussing and thinking about the problem. And as I hear, it's also not necessarily only about the material itself, like cotton. Cotton has been a great material and still continues to be, but it's about the production process and the implications to the environment. Primarily. Absolutely. Yeah, so when you look at some of the research that's been done out of the Mistra Future Fashion, um, but in particular, because I worked on that, so I'm aware of quite a lot of that research, um, the uh, life cycle analysis that was done um, by Sandra Roos and, and various other people on her team um, came out that actually some of, most of the impacts are at the production phase. So that would be particularly weaving, notably, um, is really energy intensive. So at the moment, because we're working with traditional energy um, sort of methods uh, or production of, of energy for these processes, they're coming out really, really high um, and are um, particularly bad on the scale rather than necessarily the materials or the transport. Uh, another really interesting fact that came out of that was that um, one of the biggest factors was if you as a consumer jump in your car and go to a shop and buy one T-shirt, that is a huge impact because you're taking your car and driving it and the impacts involved and because you're taking it just for that, it only counts, the impact is only counted for the t-shirt because that was the only reason that you went. Now, of course, you might go to the shops and buy multiple things, so therefore that impact can be split out and it's quite difficult to measure these things. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting that there are lots of different places around the life cycle, that it's not just about materials uh, and that we do need to think about those production. I mean, I gave the example of thinking about the chemicals used, but also that the ways that you're producing, um, as well as some of the social issues, which I also raised about, you know, the, the people working and stuff. There's lots of lots of things to think about when you're thinking about sustainability in terms of the textiles and fashion industry. Absolutely. And uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation also points out three key pillars for circular economy to take place. And we already discussed two of them uh, producing by using renewable energy. Uh, another pillar is uh, designing out waste and pollution. And the third one is keeping um, products and materials in use. So now that when I think about it, we actually covered all three of them in our conversation mm. <laughs> without even specifically pointing out them. Um, but when we look at the recycling, we look at the end of usage of the product. And it seems to me that it is um, a lot about designing from waste to some extent. Whereas the uh, second pillar that I mentioned was designing out waste and pollution. Do you think this is something attainable? Can this be achieved within textiles industry? So actually there's... Um... A really great paper that you can read about zero waste um, design, which is by Holly McQuillan. I would advise anyone to um, have a read of her stuff. She does some amazing work. Uh, check out her Instagram. Um, but this idea of, yeah, that we're coming from this sort of designing with waste. Um, Holly's obviously looking at designing out. Uh, my research is actually looking at how we can design with waste so we can recycle those kind of wool, acrylic, um, textile fibres use them but design them in a way that they can be re-recycled and that re-recycling and getting it background is kind of what we're missing at the moment you will look around and you'll see brands and they're using recycled materials and that's brilliant um but it's that bit of making sure that it can come back into the system because at the moment the recycling system is not great it's not brilliant um, and the materials that we're getting out of them are sort of the the higher value materials and then we're kind of plugging them into things that are going to end up being low value when they come back in again um, so it's really about understanding how you can get it back around um, that is the big challenge that I'm looking into. Do you see any particular technology uh, luggage in the system right now that could help facilitate? Well there's lots of things so in terms of um, collecting um just better collecting systems basically uh, in terms of sorting uh more transparency more understanding of sorting and there is research going on um uh, particular i can think of uh, circular economy which is based in amsterdam they're working on or have been working on the fiber sort project with um 
Van, van Bailing Systems, I believe. Um, and uh, that's looking at how we can automate the sorting process and machines will be able to just scan and read our clothing. Um, but that comes with limitations. Um, there are other types of um, sorting that we could use tags, uh, whether they are physical tags or whether they are electric chips that are embedded within our textiles. Um, so there's a variety of different technologies. And then, of course, when you come to recycling, we're developing sort of chemical recycling and different ways of not only um, recycling, say, cotton or polyester or wool, for example, um, to split apart polycotton or um, the different blends that we're using, um, again, with certain limitations. So there's plenty of um, innovation and technologies that can be being used. And that's covering um, three very basic categories. When you think about the entire life cycle and the different technologies and the different things that can be um, implemented, um, the list, I'm sure, is endless. Absolutely. Do you have high hopes for the improvement in textiles industry within the upcoming five to 10 years, let's say? So I think I'm seeing it's what's really nice is that we are seeing this sort of shift, like the consumer is really um, demanding from the brands that they are more sustainable. Um, it's being noted in business publications that businesses, unless they've got this, you know, sustainability and they've got th that part of their business model or they're producing sustainable products, that the customers are getting less and less interested. And that's really, really positive. Um, but we are also seeing that there are a lot of these commitments being made, which aren't necessarily translating into actual um, changes, for example. Um, what I will say is that as a consumer, you can definitely push for more changes. And I think we should. And buying power um, is very powerful. Um, but consumers can't do it alone. Really large corporate companies have been working in the same ways for years and years and years. And it's very, very difficult, like ship, um, moving a tanker ship that's going in one direction, it's very, very difficult to move that. And these are big corporations that involve huge supply chains. Uh, and that's not me excusing them for not moving quicker or trying to do better or changing things. But these things do take time. Um, I feel it's the small kind of startup companies um, that have slightly more flexibility. They also have limitations, difficult to get hold of, um, you know, the more expensive materials, chemically recycled uh, materials, for example, um, that someone like H&M has access to because they have that kind of profit behind them. Um, so I feel like it's actually a collaborative effort. And I think in the next five to 10 years, I hope that we have kind of moved forward slightly, uh, probably not as much as I would, I would like. Um, but yeah, hopefully uh, it's, we're only moving in a positive way. Okay, I also am on the same page with you. I have high hopes that the industry will change and we will see new initiatives and um, uh, technolo technological changes such as um, blockchain solutions and more transparency and um, other um, solutions such as material passport if it's applicable in a physical or um, digital sh shape and form. Um, but just looking a little bit closer in the time frame, have you seen any particular trends uh, due to uh, COVID-19 pandemic? Has anything changed? Um, has there been any talk in the news? Yeah, I mean, I think with the pandemic, um, I mean, what a crazy time it's been. It's been crazy for everybody. Um, and I was uh, talking to somebody who worked for a fashion brand and they were having lots of problems transporting the clothes from China. Um, you know, they were being produced in China, but they weren't able to move the clothing. Um, no one was flying. Um, and even by car and truck at every border, they would have to quarantine for two weeks. They couldn't find drivers. It was a nightmare. They were worried they weren't going to have clothes in the stores. So the pandemic has completely um, you know, changed a lot. And I, I think probably has pushed us, or at least the industry, and I'm hoping to think about how change can happen faster. We all overnight suddenly had to start working from home um, and now do meetings online and have conversations over Instagram. Um, but, and I think that that sort of rapid change sort of does demonstrate that we can change and we can change quite quickly when we need to. Um, it's just about making everybody kind of agree that we, how we need to change and what we need to change. Um, and 
now that we kind of know that we can do it quickly, I hope that this is sort of demonstrate that you can change, change things when absolutely necessary. Um, so yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm trying to see the positive in the pandemic. I mean, I know it's been absolutely dreadful for a lot of people around the world. Um, but hopefully, you know, when we look back at this period of time, we can see some of the positives that came out of it. And hopefully that's one of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have also just, uh, uh, got some news that we managed to postpone the um, overconsumption day of the natural resources by three weeks. Uh, so Amazing. yesterday was the day when we uh, uh, overused the earth capacity in 2019. And uh, okay. this year yeah. we moved it to uh, four, um, three weeks further just because we slowed down during pandemic. And talking about the, the um, impact, uh, I can also see a comment of uh, one of our listeners who say, says that it is such a fascinating point about the impact of individuals' transportation to acquire garments that really complicated the argument of the impact of shipping costs for online shopping. Do you have any, any comments on, on the impact, on the individual impact? Yeah, so online shopping um there is obviously an argument that rather than people sort of spe specifically if you live in the countryside so when you're in the countryside you tend to own a car you tend to drive into town in order to go shopping etc etc so um that was a really interesting piece of research but obviously has to be thought about in context in terms of in the city um you might be able to walk to the shops and therefore ordering online the addition of postage and that kind of thing but i don't think that ordering online and having things delivered is going to go away um it potentially drives consumption potentially because you order things but you send them back in terms of delivery um i would say that more understanding and research needs to be done of the impacts of those kind of delivery services what is better about those services and i know because i've ordered things online before is quite often you get the choice of the, the most green time slot so I was given a choice of I could have it between this hour, this hour, this hour. But if I chose this one, this was the most green, probably because the delivery man was also delivering another package in my area during that time. So there is something to be said about a reduction in transport with online. Um, and actually with something like online, I know that we see lots of fast fashion companies online and they... Um, are very much branded as um, the devil um, and often they are um, but in terms of kind of online it means that you can have sort of smaller quantities um, you know kind of made to order rather than having a shop it means if you're a small business and you're online you don't have to pay for those kind of overheads it's a bit easier for starting up so there are loads of pros and cons and um, they're all kind of linked to sustainability um, generally um, so yeah it's Basically, it's complicated. <laughs> it is complicated, but let's uh, hope for the best. Let's uh, hope that the progress will happen someday soon and uh, hopefully uh, sooner than later. Uh, actually, we've been talking together for almost about an hour by far and the time just flew, uh, <laughs> at least to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just uh, have to also uh, move our conversation to one uh, part uh, that I always do with our guests, mm -hmm. which is the section of the fill in the gaps. So how mm -hmm. I have prepared you five statements, uh, which I will yeah. ask you to complete and uh, just feel free to uh, complete them uh, within the uh, sustainable textile realm. Um, but I will just uh, start with the first uh, statement then which is to me sustainability is so to me so textile sustainability is designing textiles for every element of the life cycle okay yeah yeah that that incorporates it all that what we just talked about as well yeah. all right um one thing i would like to see more of in the world is well, because it's what I'm doing on my PhD, I have to say recycled textiles. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> That's a really good answer. And then we can move forward from that point, right? I mean, mm -hmm. 
Perfect. Um, for the uh, complete beginner in the textile uh, sustainability area, I would suggest to start off with. So this one, I would probably say as a complete beginner, there are loads of resources out there. So I've mentioned quite a few. You've mentioned the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. There's a great report called the textile, uh, the new textile economy, um, which really addresses the problem. Um, the Center for Circular Design has a YouTube channel if you're a designer and looking for design tools and how to use them. Um, and obviously, I'm going to plug my own website, um, annikatextiles.co.uk. Um, I've got some resources. I did a webinar, so if you're interested in uh, textile recycling and finding out more, then um, check me out. <laughs> Absolutely. I can only uh, agree to, to this point because I have visited your website quite a lot of times um, while preparing for the interview. I have found a lot of great material there. So guys, don't be modest, just really give it a go. And then uh, moving on to the next statement, every uh, sustainable business should try and implement at least one like circular sustainable strategy. So when I say try and implement one, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming. So we talk about this entire life cycle and collaborating with everyone and thinking about every single point, um, which can be really, really overwhelming. And as I already talked about, there are some um, uh, compromises to be made. So kind of set your goals and think about one thing that you can do and yeah, kind of one step at a time, I guess. That's a really good advice. Starting from one thing, mm -hmm. And the last statement is, in two to three years, I see Annika Textiles. Uh, kind of doing what I'm doing, but just more, teaching, researching, and consulting. That's what, what That's I love. Awesome. So, yeah. Absolutely. So you do a consultancy for the businesses and webinars for designers or... Yeah, so I'm teaching and I teach across universities. Um, I run workshops and things. Obviously, I'm doing my PhD research and hope to sort of continue that. Um, but I run consultancy for anyone um, who's interested in learning about uh, circular design, particularly businesses interested in developing recycled materials and some of the problems. Um, if you're a small business or a big business that are looking to understand how to design and create recycled materials, particularly that can be re-recycled, um, Hopefully, I'm your girl. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, yeah. And then just to summarize our conversation, what would you say are the three key takeaways you would like everyone to take from our talk today? Okay. So um, I would say I have a takeaway for the consumer. I have a takeaway for a uh, big business and I have a takeaway for uh, designers that might be listening to this. So for the consumer, I would say, don't throw any of your clothes away. Please make sure that you recycle them. And that includes socks and tights and pants. Um, make sure they go into those recycling bins and don't put anything in the trash. Also, you have buying power. Um, so buy sustainably and responsibly um, as you possibly can. Uh, for big business, I would, uh, I guess, going back to what I said before about implementing sustainable strategies. Um, if you don't know where to start, just take it one step at a time. Um, start small uh, and work your way up uh, to sort of implement change. And then for designers out there, um, think about how sustainability um, or circular design can be implemented in all of your design. It's really easy to be working on a sustainable design project um, in which you are really keen about implementing all of these different strategies. But particularly, I see this in students when I'm teaching, when they, get, they move on to another project where sustainability isn't part of, say, the marking criteria. And the same in designers, you know, within the industry, it's, oh, there's this specific project, but then we just go back to business as usual. Um, the challenge is, can you implement some of those things within sort of everyday um, designing in all the different projects that you do? Uh, and those would be the three takeaways that I, uh, in terms of circular design. I hope our talk with Annika was interesting and insightful for you. I hope you learned something new that you didn't know about textile recycling before. Be it recycling challenges and innovation, take back systems, circular fashion concept, or circular design principles. 
If you feel like you came out of the episode much more knowledgeable than when you started listening to it, please share that one thing you learned from this episode on your Instagram and tag around my conscious underscore living and use hashtag refashionpodcast, which is just one word. If you're curious of what's coming up next, please subscribe to my podcast here to never miss a new episode. Share it with your friends on social media. Follow me on Instagram at myconscious underscore living. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. Take care.